The following is a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, how you can support it, or applying to become a student, please visit www.gpts.edu. Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zach Groff, and I'm your host, and I have with me in the studio a good friend of mine and local pastor, Reverend Robert McCurley. He is the pastor of Greenville Presbyterian Church, a congregation of the Free Presbyterian Church Continuing Synod, and he's also the retiring moderator of the Free Church of Scotland Continuing Synod. He's a graduate of GPTS, and he's here to speak with us about um, the latest latest and perhaps greatest <laughs> uh, meeting of the Continuing Synod, which was held in May, from Monday the 21st through Thursday the 24th. Rob, thank you so much for joining me. It's great to be with you, Zach. Thanks. To kick things off, why don't you very briefly just give listeners who may not be familiar with the Free Church um, a, a, a glimpse into, into what it is, a, just a brief statement of, of what distinguishes your um, denomination from others. Sure. Yeah, the Free Church of Scotland Continuing is uh, a denomination that is holding steadfastly to the Confession, Westminster Confession, and really to the attainments of the First and Second Reformations in Scotland. So its its origin as the Free Church uh, came into existence in 1843 at the Great Disruption, where 500 ministers in a huge chunk of Scotland carried forward uh, the testimony of the Reformed Church of Scotland, and um, that witness and testimony has continued to be born you know, to the present day. So. Very good. Thank you. And as we consider the, the, the Free Church's um, existence in 2018, you have a unique perspective as the retiring moderator of the Synod. Um, what, what did you see in the past year as you exercised some of the duties and responsibilities of moderator? It's a good question. Uh, I think it was it was more of a, a bread and butter kind of year, so nothing overwhelming that was taking place, just steadily carrying forward. There are developments on a number of fronts um, on the mission field and within presbyteries and the denomination as a whole, but nothing that would be out of the ordinary in contrast to other years. What was your outgoing message as the retiring moderator in May? I decided to preach on the theme of spending and being spent, and taken from the text, uh, the words of the Lord Jesus about uh, those who, who save their lives will lose it, and those who lose their lives for his sake you know, will find them. And I was basically developing what, what I, was, I was calling a contrast between the save-your-life model and the lose-your-life model. So there's a, uh, a big trend, a big push in the, the literature of late and recent years a lot of talk about um, the Christian being concerned about their diet and about exercise and about sleep and about all these sorts of things. Huge emphasis, you know, allotting um, substantial chunks of time to copious amounts of recreation and entertainment, et cetera, et cetera, as a form of kind of pacing your, your life or whatever. And, and of course, there's a, there's a place for all those things, biblically, obviously. But the, the overemphasis on this, I think, is going to be difficult to find within the Bible itself. The emphasis falls pretty much on the other side of the spectrum. And part of, I think, part of what motivates this call 
uh, for people to save their lives is genuine sympathy and compassion for, for folk with regards to their you know, health and well-being. And so that's credible. That's good. <clears throat> we should have compassion. I mean, I, in 2014, I went through a health crisis. I have a wife who's suffered with chronic illness, so I'm very much aware of, of those pressures. But the emphasis of Scripture is, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to hold back and keep and preserve yourself? Is that the emphasis, or is it spending and being spent for Christ? And I think, really, the literature on self-preservation even, I think it's primarily a blind spot of living in, the luxury of living in the modern West. If you take that literature and even in our present day to the third world or to persecuted countries, Christians are going to see the incongruity between the message about preserving yourself and their own experience and what you find in the Bible. And they'll see the emperor doesn't have clothes, you know. So I think there's a there's something to be there's something to be said there and I'm not doing justice to I'm really giving you a description of the background for why I spoke on it. Who was the incoming moderator to succeed you? Reverend David Blunt and um he is the minister in North Uist. So for those who don't know Scotland uh, or its geography very well the west off the west coast you have the outer hebrides right this collection of islands and north uist is kind of toward the southern end of that chain of islands below lewis and harris so he's the the minister of of north uist in grimsey and to be honest he did a fantastic job really as moderator did really really good work and his message coming in was on jude 3 right that's correct yeah earnestly contending for the faith and uh it was very edifying. I mean, he developed a theme very well. I th- uh, everyone, I think, found great blessing in it. He, he talked about the different forums in which we contend for the faith, the responsibility as it falls to the minister and to other officers and to the average Christian. And, you know, he did a good job of spelling it out. Yeah. Excellent. And if I was reading the summary correctly, there's another role that Reverend Blunt uh, um, took on this year as well. Am I right? With the Committee on Publications. That's right. He's, well, it's, this is the end of his first year as the editor of the denominational magazine, The Free Church Witness. Yeah. So he was coming to the end of that first year. So you said this has been a bread and butter year. There's not a whole lot out of the norm, but there is something I, I would want to talk about. You know, those of us who are not in um, an establishmentarian context would read through the summary of of the synod's actions and and would some, a couple things would 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 really stick out to us the first would be the opening address to the queen of england but then also later on uh, the committee on um on public uh, morals and and the like can you tell us a little bit about the the church's the denomination's relationship to the state and and how you conceive of the church's spiritual mission interacting with um the civil magistrate and i, I have to kind of tongue-in-cheek make a slight correction for on, on behalf of all the scots she, she they would say she's the queen of britain oh there you go yeah. the queen of england <laughs> <laughs> my fault <laughs> The um, so there's this principle right that we find in the original version of the Confession, uh, Westminster Confession, and it's it's not unique uh, to Scottish Presbyterianism. You'll find it in the Belgic Confession as well. And really, it was part of the the classical Reformed um, 
theological package coming out of the 17th century, what you referred to as the establishment principle. And that, that teaches that, we believe the Bible teaches, that uh, the civil magistrate has obligations within, uh, within its civil sphere to profess, protect, and promote the true religion. And so they have obligations, uh, while distinct from the church and without interfering with the church and its, res- its distinct responsibilities, in that civil context, they are to carry forward the torch of trying to advance Christ's kingdom. And so that principle, there's huge, just gigantic body of literature on the establishment principle historically, you know, from coming out of Scotland. That, that provides some, some of the background. So the church has a responsibility to speak to the magistrate about what God's word says and about what God's word requires of them uh, to submit to King Jesus and rule according to his law, right? Both tables of the Ten Commandments. Um, so that creates this relationship theologically that ends up being worked out practically in things like what you referred to, the, the address to the, the queen where the church is sending a message to her. But it also works itself out in this committee of, of, uh, uh, of public questions, religion, and morals, where the, the church is assessing where is society, what are the needs, and, and what does God's word say, and how does it need to be brought to bear upon society. So that's what you'll see reflected in that committee's report. And in that committee's report, are the questions and the issues that are handled primarily restricted to Scotland or Great Britain, or do they extend to, to other issues as well, where you would be addressing um, trends and, and, and incidents in the United States and in Sri Lanka and other places where you have works? It would be primarily Britain, right? It would be primarily Great Britain would be the focus, though there's so much in this kind of global context, there's so much cross-pollination that it would certainly be connected to what's going on elsewhere. You know, looking at the list, it stuck out to me that one of the issues that came up had to do with a, a Christian bakery, right? Right. And I'm pretty sure here in the States, we've had uh, a number of issues um, with Christian florists and, and bakers and, and, and other entrepreneurs and, and artisans being challenged for wanting to restrict their work, their artistic work, to uh, those things that they can wholeheartedly agree with from a, a religious perspective and a moral perspective. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember what the other uh, major question was that you all handled, but it was something else that that resonated well with the American Christian experience, too. You're probably thinking of legislation that's been introduced in, in Britain with regards to the prohibition of what we would call spanking. In Scotland, they actually refer to it as smacking. So that, that kind of jars us because it's a very different connotation in the U.S., that word, what we call spanking, corporal dis- discipline. So there's, there's, there's legislation that's, that's coming through that would prohibit this, that would make it um, a criminal activity. So the Christians and, 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 and the church in Scotland is looking into the face of the consequences of upholding God's word and continuing to obey it and what that may may cost them in terms of civil punishment and so on. Quite a bit, I imagine. 
moving on from from that question, I appreciate how well you put that and how quick and how briefly you put it as well and simply. And, and like you said, there's a there's a veritable mountain of literature. This is just the tip of an iceberg, to use another analogy that our listeners could go dive into mm-hmm. and and or ascend whatever analogy we're using here, whatever metaphor we're using. Um, but moving on from that, what are some of the developments taking place in the free church continuing? What kinds of missions works are you all involved in today, and, and what has been the progress of those? There's mission works on several fronts. One that I'm especially uh, excited about is the work in, in Sri Lanka. So for those who don't recall, Sri Lanka is a large kind of teardrop-shaped island nation off the southeast of India. And it's pretty much divided into two people groups. You have the Sinhalese-speaking people, and they actually are predominantly Buddhist, and they control the government. That's in the south. And in the north, you have the Tamil-speaking people, and they're primarily Hindu. Well, we have a, we have a minister there who's actually a native Sri Lankan, Tamil-speaking Sri Lankan from the north, who went to Scotland and actually went through our seminary and so studied and got all the training and so on, was ordained as a a free church continuing minister, and then sent back. And so I've been twice myself. Um, Lord willing, I'll be going back again next year. But he's he's planted a church, Tamil-speaking church, um, in the north of Sri Lanka, in Vivonia, and they have all sorts of stuff that's going on. And they've they've now planted another church in Malativo out on the east coast, he, he started a, a seminary of sorts, so it's training local ministers that are already in the ministry from various denominations in the scriptures and reform theology, and so you have these charismatics who are coming to train and then end up becoming persuaded of the reformed faith and take that back to their, their people and turn from some of their previous positions. A lot of, outwor- uh, a lot of outreach to the, the children, like huge numbers of, of children come and attend. Um, they just have a lot of things going on. But it's the beautiful thing is you have a native who knows the language, who grew up there, who knows the culture, who has all the connections, and he's true blue through and through, hardcore, you know, free church reformed, and inculcating that testimony and the gospel witness within his own country. It's really, I mean, it's a beautiful model. If, 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 we could, if we could, that's the way we would do, you know, all missions, as it were. So that's exciting. Similarly, there's, there's a work in Spain in a couple of places uh, and then across the border in Pau, France. And we have a, a native Spaniard who's, who's a minister with us that is uh, overseeing that work. He's done a lot of wonderful things, put some literature into Spanish. He helped finish uh, the Spanish metrical Psalter. Obviously, you know, singing psalms is very important to us. Um, the... At the time of the Reformation, they actually started a psalter, a metrical psalter. So in Calvin's day, first Reformation. In Spanish. Right, in Spanish. But it was incomplete. And then it sat for centuries. And so they've, he picked that up. And it's, it's been in print now for quite a while, full Spanish metrical psalter. And it's making, I mean, it's being distributed in Latin America, you know, South America, Central America, and so on, Mexico which we're, we're glad to see, you know, there's some influence there. So he's doing a lot of things. I mean, he's, there's, there's a work in Barcelona that's been started up as well. And, uh, he's, he's doing a lot of exciting things. So 
That'd be another example. An ongoing work, um, I guess, from the Committee on Psalmody, if mm-hmm. I was reading it correctly, um, though it has crossover appeal to publications, discussions, and distribution of media, would be this work that um, that the Scots in in not S C O T S but S C O T T S, a surname, a, right. a family, Reverend Scott and his wife, um, put together a multi-disc collection of of Psalter recordings. Yeah, it's been a 12-year project. I think they've done one CD a year. And it's actually two CDs with each set. So one CD would have 12 selections from you know 1650 Scottish Psalter and the tunes taken out of our, our split-lease Psalter. And they would be, in one CD, all four parts sung together. And then the other CD is actually instructional. So it breaks down the soprano, the alto, uh, the tenor, and the bass and plays those separately. So someone that's trying to learn their part can listen to that and follow along until they get it down. And then you can also hear it you know, with all four parts put together. So they, they did one, one set, two CD set a year over the course of 12 years. So I guess it's, what, 144 um, psalm, psalm selections with 144 different psalm tunes. So it was a way of teaching the tunes. Now they've come out subsequently with one CD that takes selections from all of those and just has the four parts all together. So you can get a CD with like you know, 20, 20-something um, psalm selections with 20-something different tunes sung in four-part harmony. And that's just a one, one CD kind of summary, if you will. Yeah, it's very neat. So it's a, it's, it was geared, in contrast to a lot of other re- psalm singing recordings, it was geared specifically as a teaching aid. And when you learn to sing the psalms, you, by necessity, learn the psalms themselves. That's right. And so it helps you in praying the psalms and in thinking the psalms and in expressing yourself in the language and, and, and in the attitude, I guess, mm-hmm. of the Psalter. Um, so that's that's a great resource that I'm sure some of our listeners will be excited to go and find online, if possible, at the uh, on the Free Church Continuing's website or or elsewhere. I would imagine. Uh, were there any other uh, relevant developments that you would want to share with uh, our listeners today? Well, there, I mean, there are things happening in the presbytery here on this side of the pond, I suppose, with regards to publications. Um, we've started a publishing arm for the Presbytery, so it's called Grange Press, and um, the name Grange Press is taken from a district, the Grange, which is on the south side of Edinburgh. There's actually a cemetery there, the Grange Cemetery. You'll have interest in this, maybe not everyone will, but in that cemetery, you have in a corner, I think maybe the northwest corner is it, but there's in a corner of of that cemetery, you have most of the disruption, but fathers buried, generally speaking, in one place. So Fairbairn and Chalmers and Cunningham and Smeaton and Buchanan and Bannerman and <coughs> Hugh Martin and, and so on and so forth. So they're all, it's kind of a nice place to go. So if you, Zach, if you end up going to Edinburgh, there's lots lots to see, but you should make your way out to the Grange. You can go visit Chalmers yeah, and Bannerman yeah, and the like. Yeah, you can see all of them at once in, in about five minutes. Uh, so that's where the name comes from, right? The Grange Press, taken from that connection with the Free Church, if you will. And the Master's Trumpet, our, our quarterly periodical, is coming back into print. We have all the funding for that, so that'll go back into circulation. We're happy about that. There's a website that's 
that uh, will be launched with hosting all this stuff you know, come January 1st. So a lot of work. I'm the convener of that committee, so I feel the weight of all the work. That's probably why it's on the top of my mind. But um, hopefully that will prove useful. What kinds of materials are you most excited to see brought into print? Um, I know it's going to be beyond news, and you're going to have some theological publications and... Uh yeah, there's, it'll be a mix of both, re, I mean, in terms of Grange Press, it'll be a mix of reprint and new things. So um, there's a, we're republishing John Brown of Haddington's version of the Scottish Psalter. So you have the, the Psalter and then his notes, and it's their brief notes that he wrote for the, the Psalter itself. And he gives you kind of a summary of the psalm, and then he gives you instructions, really, kind of experimental, experiential counsel on, on how to benefit from the psalm. So I'll say, when you, know, when you sing, think, you know, and there'll be a list of things. So it's a really handy tool for people that sing the psalms. And we, we've actually used Youngblood, which is one of the premier kind of uh, printing houses in the Netherlands. So it'll be high, like really high class, um, both hardback and calfskin leather editions of that. Um, so that's kind of neat, you know. It'll it'll uh, I think be of of interest to folk. Th- there's also things in the pipeline in terms of new new books. So we have a we actually have a book that's in in the works at the beginning on the establishment principle. So reintroducing that doctrine and its biblical basis and and so on and so forth. There'll be a booklet series that's that's coming out turn of the year as well and. All of those are exciting developments. I feel, or I sense, I should say, uh, that in the last several years, there has been a renewed interest in historic Presbyterianism. And not just for the sake of, of being, you know, ensconced with historic Presbyterianism, but for the sake of loving Christ and bringing glory to His name and, and, and charting um, the history of how Presbyterians in our tradition have have sought to do that in ages past. And... and um, this is yet one more one more project that I can add to my list where I can give praise to God for the things that are that are going out. Um, you know, Crown and Covenant Publications from the RPCNA have been publishing a, a lot of material recently, great. and Log College Press online. I daily get an email from uh, from those brothers of, yeah. of new digital uploads from 19th century and 18th century Presbyterian authors. Um, the things that are at our fingertips are uh, far exceeds. Anything that was available to to reformed men and women in in just recent decades. So True. I'm excited to to hear a lot and of I, that. I think what's happening is people people tend to think that whatever they grew up with is n- the norm, and that's the way it's always been. And then they discover, oh, this is actually not the case. I mean, this is not how things have always been done, or what how you know the things that people have always believed. And so that that's a turning point. But then what happens is people begin to look at the older literature and see the questions they were asking. And then you begin to assess what were the biblical arguments and the biblical basis for how they reached their conclusions on doctrine and practice. And it's like opening a door to a gigantic stadium full of you know, treasure. And it's a means of, as you said, leading people back to the scriptures and realizing these are substantial material for us to learn from our forefathers. Just this past weekend, I attended a conference um, discussing Augustine's confessions in particular. 
But uh, one of the general comments that was made, I think he was drawing from C.S. Lewis, and, and it's patently true, um, we study men of the past not because they didn't make mistakes, but because their mistakes were not our mistakes. And we're making mistakes today that they can correct and speak to. And in all of that, our devotion to Christ and our affection for Christ and our love and commitment for and to Christ increases as we consider how men of the past were carried by the Holy Spirit um, into the truth, just as the Holy Spirit is doing today for us. So I'm always excited when I hear about publishing projects of of republishing um, or republication of uh, of older materials, yeah. and um, particularly new typesettings and the like. Things like the Banner of Truth and Reformation Heritage books have been doing for years. Uh, yeah, it really is amazing, and I don't think people realize how much investment it takes up front, how much you know, how much of a labor of love this work is. Naphtali Press. I mean, what yeah. Chris Caldwell has done uh, and carried, it's and heroic. It really is, and it, yeah. I'm excited to see that RHB has been partnering with him recently. Anyway, that's the, those are some tangents. I dropped a lot of names and, and brands there that people can go look up if mm. they're not familiar with them to begin with. Um, what are some things going on in your congregation, Rob? This, you know, Like you said, things have not been all that, uh, I don't want to say interesting. Things are certainly interesting, but there hasn't been a whole lot of, of, uh, of change. It's been bread and butter a year. But, so share about your congregation here in Greenville and some of the things you all are up to. Well, this, this weekend we have uh, Fall for Greenville, as you'll know. <clears throat> so this would be the big uh, annual festival in downtown Greenville where they basically shut down the, the city center and you have like 10,000 people on the street or something. So we, you know, I do open air preaching uh, each Friday, but when it comes to the Fall for Greenville Festival, that's a big deal for our congregation. So we'll have a bunch of people that will go out on, on Friday and I'll do open air preaching and we'll do track distribution. We actually take, um, we actually take uh, some psalters or actually print off of psalters. We do psalm singing as well, which, which generates a lot of interest from, from people. But that's an exciting time for us because you have wall-to-wall people, you know, just a mass, and the opportunity to, you know, sow gospel seed uh, is always something that we we count precious. So that's the latest and greatest in terms of this week. Generally speaking, we're we're encouraged. You know, we we um, dependent upon the Lord, but grateful for His grace. I know whenever I drive by on the Lord's Day, because your congregation um, meets for morning service uh, before noon, and then for afternoon service right after noon, um, I see a packed parking lot, and I praise the Lord for what He's doing in your church and in the OP church right down the road as well. Another packed parking lot. Um, it is a very unique place, Greenville, South Carolina, where we have such strong Reformed uh, churches that are that are filled with young families and people who are earnestly seeking after the Lord and His will and, and, and seeking to store up the Word in their hearts as the treasure that it is. Um, one thing I wanted to ask about was, the, the I guess, the future of the Free Church continuing, particularly with regards to your ministers. Our, um, I saw one prayer request on the list that the Lord would continue to call men into the ministry of the Free Church continuing, and particularly to study at the Theological College and at other schools that furnish the denomination with ministers, like Greenville Seminary, which has furnished at least three men yeah. for the Free Church. Um, what are some developments there at the Theological School in, uh, in Scotland? 
Well, we're grateful. The Lord's given us um, a good heritage, but he's also given us the resources and manpower and, and, and finance to carry forward the, the work of the seminary, Free Church Seminary. We have good lecturers in the various subjects. Uh, we do have, we have students. It would be nice to see more students, which is behind the prayer request. I mean, there are, especially in the highlands, you would have aging congregations, and some of the ministers, too, are getting to, to retirement years, and so you need to be able to fill those spots in order to shoulder the ongoing responsibilities that are associated with those congregations. So, um, yeah, we I think everywhere, right, everywhere in the world where the Lord's people are, there's a, a cry that the Lord would raise up an army of of men that he would send forth into the harvest to reap. And that's our prayer here yeah. as well. And our prayer um, is that the Lord would continue to raise up foreign nationals to come be trained in solid seminaries like Greenville and like the Free Church Continuing um, Theological College to go back to their home country and plant churches like this man has done in Sri Lanka and this other man is doing in Spain and like so many of our graduates are doing in, in Italy and Albania and Brazil and, um, and around the world. So uh, these, are, these are things to keep in prayer. I always exhort our listeners, as they listen to these denominational debriefs, I take it that it's not a vain curiosity they have, but rather a, a godly curiosity and uh, an interest to commit to prayer. Uh, the denominations that in the churches that that they're listening about or about which they're listening, and please continue to pray for the Free Church continuing their foreign works and their publications efforts, and uh, in their advancement of an enduring Reformation around the world. Reverend McCurley, Rob, do you have any concluding thoughts for our oh, listeners? Thank you, Zach. It's always a joy. I appreciate your friendship and fellowship, and we're obviously very grateful. I'm indebted personally, and. Our, our church is indebted to all that Greenville Seminary is doing. We're grateful for faithful witnesses being born and your labors. So thanks for having me. Well, we're glad to have you as a neighbor here on Presbyterian Row, my friend. <laughs> Thank <true. you. laughs> thanks, Rob. You've been listening to a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, please visit www.gpts.edu.